0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 112 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I'm speaking with my dear friend Robin Spence. Robin is a clinical hypnotherapist, functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner and therapeutic coach. She helps highly functioning people to successfully stop over drinking the clients who work with her are aware of the impact that alcohol is having on their lives but still struggle to change this habit. Through her training and research as a functional nutrition practitioner, clinical hypnotherapist and coach, she developed a method to break her own overdrinking habit rooted in cognitive therapy and neuroscience. This has transformed her desire and her relationship with alcohol. If you want to stop overdrinking and have a desire to show up strong in your life regardless of the challenges, then discover your perfect accountability partner. What's the difference between addiction and overdrinking and why do we overdrink? How does overdrinking affect your sleep and how do we use drinking as ways to escape from our emotions? This is a powerful conversation, one that we might find ourselves grappling with the truth while trying to remain in denial. Robin is my dear friend and I am thrilled that we were able to bring this conversation to you, one that you might need or find that someone very close to you does. When it comes to alcohol, it is truly a very important piece of the health puzzle. In many, many cases, it's the reason that someone does not move the health needle, even while being so on point with food and movement. This conversation is one where we invite you to come away from being the ostrich in denial and embrace the possibility of the greater change which might await you on the other side of understanding alcohol at the very core of your life. Take a listen and may it speak volumes to you. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author in New Guinea and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Robin, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. And I know that this is a conversation that I have really wanted to go into and explore, but Um, I was so lucky when you suggested this and I know that you're really in the right space as you mentioned to me before we started the conversation that there's a huge gap between addiction and sobriety and actually that's the space I feel is the most realistic one because we want to be able to uh, probably include and alcohol is related in many ways to community and so society and socializing so that's the um, mindset that a lot of people also suggest to me but somewhere I think the missing link becomes that it tips over into over drinking binge drinking and maybe be several forms of addiction as well and um, the other belief Robin which I've discussed a little bit in several episodes is that there is the belief that alcohol helps people to sleep. And there are people who actually tell some of my clients who are struggling to work through sleep challenges that I've been for the last 10 years drinking alcohol and taking a sleeping pill and I've had no sleep challenges. And I think that casual approach is also a little concerning given that there are a lot of people who are genuinely trying to piece together why they're not sleeping well. So before we go into actually the sleep part of it, could we first explore uh, the nuances here so what is binge drinking what is over drinking where is it tipping over into addiction so if you could just throw some light on that so people can actually resonate with um, where their um, where they they are lying at the moment
1: yeah that that's a that's a great question so i think for myself um You know my my alcohol stories maybe started in my late 20s and um you know i loved good wine i discovered good wine i love wine i love to drink wine i love to pair wine with food and then i I started to study wine and i found you know as i moved into my professional uh, career that wine and alcohol became something else to me. It became, you know, the thing that put me to sleep, it became the problem solver when I was stressed. And my relationship with alcohol changed dramatically, because it became something that I was emotionally attached to. So certainly you know, in the last 10 years, what I've discovered about myself is that, um, you know, my body could no longer handle the effect of alcohol. And so, you know, the question for me is, you know, I had to look at what my relationship was with alcohol. And my relationship was that, you know, I wasn't addicted, Um, But I overdrink, and I overdrink because alcohol was a solution to certain problems. But I didn't understand where the desire was coming from, what was compelling me to overdrink, what was fueling my relationship with alcohol. And I think that's where a lot of people um, become confused because they think, oh, you know, what is addiction? And what is overdrinking? So I think what happens is when you start to drink alcohol, you get this kind of influx of dopamine, this huge kind of influx of dopamine and your brain starts trying to accommodate that influx. And then something happens, um, you know, so your brain starts to accommodate, accommodate this influx of dopamine, but the brain then down regulates how the dopamine receptors affect you, meaning that it takes more alcohol, to feel the same way that you did and the more you repeat that cycle the stronger it becomes and then you start to prioritize drinking because the brain starts to prioritize having that dopamine hit and so then you move that you know 20 50 paces and that moves you into complete addiction when alcohol becomes the only thing that you think about, it it becomes the priority in your life. Now, over drinking is someone who is highly functioning, you know, pretty much got their life together. But at weekends and at different times, they drink more than they attend. And, you know, more than they have thought they would. They drink more than they thought about. And so over drinking, you will see binge drinkers who drink only at the weekend or people who go out and say, I'm just gonna have dinner and a couple of drinks. And they end up having gotches to unwind. And then they end up having more than they intended. So that's the over drinker is someone who wants to wrestle back control of the amount that they drink.
0: And I think that's Robin, I see this a lot. What you just described was something that I hear constantly. And just a few weeks ago, there was somebody who said to me that um, there was also, you know, I think it's sometimes associated with certain events. So for example, if someone is looking forward to a birthday or an anniversary or celebrating a professional success, sometimes they've um, they do relate that the binge drinking is a way to celebrate that. And so they've already prepared themselves for that in terms of mentally readying for that event. And I think somewhere then that starts to become a pattern because at all points in time, certain events are associated with the same set of consequences and um they do realize that they feel terrible the next few days, but somewhere they're caught in that loop and they don't know really how to break, break free from that. And I don't think um, they're even in a space where they feel they need to break free of that. So if you could just tell us about what... What actually goes on in terms of you did describe how it's a lot like sugar, where it's allowing for that dopamine release, and then it becomes a kind of a addiction from which you can't fall out of. But um, is there a, is there a, what are, what is the reason that we can tell people that they might need to change this?
1: yeah that, that's an interesting a beautiful question in terms of how we're socialized to think that when we go to events certainly weddings weddings and alcohol go hand in hand that i have to overdrink, and so there's almost this socialization around when i go to a big event i'm expected to drink therefore because i'm expected i do and You know, certainly when I go to, when I used to drink a lot, I would go to a wedding and think, I'm just going because I know I'm going to have a great time and drink champagne and and have an opportunity to dance. It never crossed my mind to say no. Uh, It never crossed my mind to say, I'm going to only have one. So it's almost when our brain um, expects certain things in a situation, we don't disappoint. So why do we overdrink? Why do we overdrink? In social situations, because there is an expectation that we're going to do it. Now, if I say no thank you, people, you know, people ask me, why don't you want to drink? Why, why aren't you having a drink? Why aren't you having dessert? But if I say no thank you to a glass of water, there's silence or broccoli. No one ever says, Why don't you want broccoli? But with drinking, why? So we have to train our brain to just resist and say no. But let's talk about why we overdrink. We overdrink because we've taught our brains to overdesire alcohol. And we overdesire alcohol because alcohol is, and we programmed ourselves to overdesire it. And we've programmed ourselves to overdesire a lot of things like food, gambling, shopping, scrolling. You know, in this day and age, the satiety levels are, are, are very high. You know, we can never say no. And so we've almost taught our brain to over-desire things. And so that's why we over drink because we over-desire alcohol. So what is over-desire? Over-desire is just an urgent, uh, an urgent desire. It's an urge. And it's an urge, a desire that's become urgent. So the more we drink, the more we want to drink and then we teach our brain that alcohol solves things so at the wedding when people are saying why don't you want to drink you drink because it stops people asking you it solves a problem in that moment so alcohol use is sometimes tied to emotion when we feel stressed we might have a glass of wine or a scotch at the end of the night when we feel sad We might have a glass of wine to cheer us up so alcohol becomes the thing that stops us sometimes from feeling emotion
0: oh i love that i actually want you to go a little bit deeper into that because Uh, describe that because that's a beautiful thing that actually popped in my head a few days ago and someone described the binge drinking that he was looking forward to very soon because of some event coming up in his life and that's the first thing that popped in my head that it's almost as if it's a way to forget about what is he experiencing and I knew him personally. So I felt that he was trying to numb something with that. So can we just go a little deeper into that? Because that's really important.
1: Yeah, we call that buffering with alcohol using alcohol as a way to escape our feelings. And then alcohol becomes the tool that we use to feel better. And so going back to one of my clients who went to a wedding, her, We had prepared and she had done a, uh, what we call a drink plan that she was only going to have two glasses of champagne. But in that moment, she felt really sorry for herself because she was not um, able to go with anybody and she was unattached. And when she arrived at the wedding, she felt really sad. And so that's through that sadness. She drank and she drank and she drank. And then the next day she was really horrified and upset with herself because she hadn't kept her promise to herself. So sometimes we use alcohol to buffer. And what I mean by buffering, instead of feeling the emotion, instead of feeling the sadness, instead of feeling the loneliness, we have a drink to cover up that feeling or to enable to, it enables us to endure the feeling.
0: And I think Robin, I can almost hear some of my dear friends and clients telling me in answer to what you just said that who wants to feel sad, who wants to feel lonely. So if there's a way that we can actually cover that up, what's wrong with it? Why should we put ourselves through that misery? What would we say to that?
1: Okay, that's, that's an interesting question because... Who wants to feel misery? Who wants to feel pain? But feeling misery sometime is part of the human condition. You know, we wouldn't know sadness if we didn't know joy. We we wouldn't know loneliness if we didn't know community. And so having both of those sides of the equation is the human condition. We have to know one without the other. And listen, life is the 50-50. 50% 50% of the time, we're going to feel great. And 50% of the time, we're going to have things that happen in our lives. That's, that's life. But when we can allow emotion instead of resisting or reacting, then we become stronger and a better version of ourselves. You know, when we can allow ourselves to feel the loneliness and not pick up a drink, to feel the sadness and not drink, that makes us stronger. And that doesn't mean that the loneliness is going to last forever. It's just a feeling. And it moves through your body. And then you release it. It's just a sensation in your body. That's all emotion is. And when we can allow our emotions, then we allow ourselves to control our ability to manage alcohol. We we get to manage alcohol. Now, listen, some people use not only alcohol, they use food in the same way. When I feel sad, I eat cake. I have a lot of clients like that. And you can use these same tools of allowing yourself to sit through the emotion, to reflect on what's happening. What's happening to your brain when you feel sad? is, Is it telling you, you don't want to feel this, go and have a drink so you can feel better. Go and have a piece of cake so you can feel better. That's what your little brain is telling you. So you just sit with that and allow yourself to feel the emotion. And then the emotion moves through you. But when we allow ourselves to drink because of the emotion, every time we feel that emotion, we pick up a glass of wine or a glass of champagne, because that becomes the problem that we're solving and then we need that glass of wine when we feel the emotion it's like i've had a bad day i need i need a glass of wine so when we start to use the words need then that means i need to resolve that problem
0: I love it, Robin. In fact, I was just going to ask you, where does it tip over into addiction and what does addiction look like? Because, you know, the typical answer is always that I'm not addicted. I can stop anytime I want. And I've heard this a lot. I've also lived with an alcoholic long ago, and I've seen so much of this, but I would love for you to actually describe what does addiction look like?
1: Well, I, I'm, I don't work with addicts. Um, I do refer them on to uh, either a 12-step program or some other program which can accommodate them. But addiction looks like someone who prioritizes alcohol over everything else in their life, and they cannot stop drinking. Um, and that addiction can spiral very much out of control. And for someone who's addicted, they do need support and help pulling that back and you cannot go from addiction to sobriety um, in one fell swoop it's almost dangerous to do that when you are drinking heavily every day it has to be a graduated thing so i'm working my work is really with people who over drink who are highly functioning but they know that they're not keeping their promise to themselves or their intention when they get when alcohol is around. And they're also drinking because of, of emotional drinking. You know, they're drinking because there is an emotion and that emotion is compelling them to drink alcohol, to feel better. So what we focus on is changing the emotion. And when you can change the emotion, then that gives you more agency and more power over, how and when you want to drink.
0: That's right. So I think we must, I loved what you described about the the drink plan. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that with you later, but how does uh, alcohol impact sleep? Because there is, as I said, this common misconception that alcohol is great. And most people believe that it helps them to sleep easily and uh, stay asleep. And I've also heard one thing which I would like your thoughts on, which is that some people have told me alcohol is not a sugar. So I'd love for you to actually break this down as well.
1: Well, I'll, I'll talk about that one first. As far as I know, you know, most wine and um, there, there are sh- many sugars and under many different names in alcohol. I think the, the probably the substance that has the least amount of sugar is red wine. But white wine, champagne, um, a lot of spirits are full of sugar. Um, you know, if we think about rum, rum is made from sugar cane. So <laughs> um, depending on your choice of spirits, you will find some sort of alcohol either in the alcohol directly or in the process so let's get on to sleep um I think a lot of the people I work with discover that all of a sudden you know they've been drinking and drink has fueled their sleep and what I mean by that they they think they sleep better because of alcohol but then they're finding that it's they're waking up at two three in the morning you know it knocks them out early on and then they're wide awake at through two three in the morning And that's because your body is attempting to detox that alcohol. And that's why that's happening. And as we get older, those two or three glasses of wine that made us feel incredibly good start other habits. Like we start looking in the fridge for food. All of a sudden, we're hungry again. And, you know, we're not sleeping well or we're having, you know, um, sort of um, nuances in our hormonal health. And then we find that those two glasses of wine or four glasses of wine that used to help us sleep is now waking us up. So what's going on here? So what's happening is your body is no longer able to tolerate that alcohol. And when I speak to my clients about cutting back, they say, no, I don't want to cut back. I'm willing to do everything else but cut back on alcohol because alcohol helps me sleep and when i stop drinking my sleep's disrupted what's happening and what's happening is that their body is going through that kind of detox and their sleep is disrupted but the further you go into to cutting down the amount that you drink the easier it gets And some people feel they need alcohol because I really need it. Because now I've got insomnia, I can't sleep. And it's because your body doesn't know how to sleep without it. And you're retraining your body. And that means developing a good sleep hygiene, which is something I'm sure you talk about all the time. Deepa is developing a good sleep hygiene. So when your body is used to going to sleep with alcohol, you have to train your brain and your body that it doesn't need alcohol in order to sleep. And that's where having a good sleep hygiene program comes.
0: And into I, th- play. I think, Robin, what you described also took my mind to those who are trying to come off sleeping pills. And it sounds so familiar in terms of, we did an episode with Dr. Nishi Bhopal, who spoke about weaning off from sleeping medication. And she also described it like this, that it needs to be done so gently because right now your body's forgotten how to sleep without that. Um, And you did describe also about how that makes you sometimes reach for food at strange times of the night. It could also be that at times people don't prioritize food along with the alcohol that they drink in the night. So is there a, I suppose we'll come to that later, but um, just as what is the right way to enjoy a drink with food, but maybe we'll save that for later. I would like us to jump into whether alcohol affects women differently, because uh, that is something that, I see a lot. And there are two aspects to this, Robin. The first is, is there a specific phase of a menstrual cycle where women tend to crave more alcohol and also cannot metabolize it as well? Maybe I'm not sure. I'm just thinking out loud. And is it very different on women as compared to men? I think
1: alcohol does have a different effect on women than it does on men. And I think women find it harder to metabolize alcohol um, in a way that men don't. And I think that's to do with our reproductive system. Um, And so women do find alcohol harder to um, metabolize. And I think alcohol can impact fertility. Um, You know, women who are thinking about... um, starting their fertility journey i think you know need to think about how they want to reduce their intake of alcohol prior to that i think it is it's disruptive to the cycle um and i think it has a huge back impact on um conception um, with both sexes i think some women and men feel that alcohol is an enhancer um it, but but i think you know while one drink doesn't reflect um um, one drink doesn't affect blood flow heavy drinking does and it can affect you know how people are intimate with each other and it can affect men in many different ways and it can affect women because alcohol does have an impact on your behavioral um, your, your, your cognitive part of your brain. And sometimes it can stop women from being able to, um, it can inf- impact the fertility cycle. And for men, in terms of being able to produce uh, uh, enough of what they need to produce to, to um, you know um, uh, fertilize an egg, it can have an impact on that, absolutely.
0: And I think, would you, could you also break that down? I mean, you did describe in terms of fertility, but uh, the common thing that you also come across is where people believe that they feel that intimacy becomes easier when they've had a glass of wine. This is something common. So this is something not necessarily someone is trying to, uh have a baby or anything but how is this then creating a loop where intimacy relies on alcohol
1: yes um this is a really interesting one and if a lot of women um have shared with me that they drink in order to become intimate and men men and women equally Um, with men it's about bravada and you know being able to relax and do the thing that's expected of them and for a lot of young men who feel nervous this can be something that they use to to feel you know more relaxed for women um it can be used in a way to shed inhibition and so alcohol on both sides of, of, of the coin is, is, you know, people feel that this is something that relaxes me. One drink may do that. But if you continually over drink in order to become intimate, then you rely on that. Your brain relies on it. Your body relies on it to, to feel relaxed. And when you're feeling so relaxed, it can restrict blood flow in men. So they're, in, you know, they're not able to, to um, be become erect. Um, it can depress the nervous system and it can, and, you know, decrease flow into their, the, the, you know, their penis. And so therefore, um, um, the thing that they're using to feel relaxed can disrupt their, their ability to, to become intimate, to have an orgasm. And that can happen to women as well. So alcohol seems like a relaxant, but it can Produce inner gaps there.
0: And I think, Robin, something my husband and I have discussed a lot is also that at times people use alcohol when there's a reason why they're actually unable to um, have healthy intimacy with their partner. Maybe one has just lost interest, moved on. um, And so they're not. Able to even venture down that road, and then they start to use alcohol as something to forget the fact that they cannot be intimate. Is that also something that you feel uh, is a possibility?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, using alcohol because, you know, maybe they've had a bad experience or they're inexperienced um, as a way of feeling better about the experience also as a way of just being there but not being present in the experience and I, th- I see that happens a lot with many people and so and 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 people make really silly mistakes sometimes you know when they're uh have had too much alcohol um you know so it creates a place where they might do things they wouldn't necessarily do if they weren't if they had not over drank. and so i think very measured, uh, with alcohol and, um, exploring intimacy and being very present, um, I think is perhaps a better way to, um, enter into this, especially for younger people. I think being present, um, and, and being what I call sober sex, (laughs) you know, being able to be intimate without alcohol, um, and, ha- and being present in that rather than using alcohol as a way to be intimate because a lot of times um for many couples they've never been present they've never been sober I you know alcohol that. is what they use to get into that into the mood of intimacy and and then that becomes a habit and they don't know how to be intimate without it
0: I love that phrase sober sex Robin I think it's so it encapsulates so much meaning within that itself but let's actually talk about how does someone move past a habit of over drinking or binge drinking and this oscillating between weekdays and weekends and where, where do they begin and of course we are talking about not complete sobriety as we mentioned in the beginning we're going into that space between overdrinking and sobriety where reality lies yeah and it's
1: changing it's changing a habit Overdrinking is a habit you know when we over drink to solve something you know our brain almost it, it becomes second nature to us so you know it it, it starts in the prefrontal cortex you know that we're thinking about you know i'm over drinking because of this and then it becomes a habit it drops down into what i call our animal brain and then we're doing it automatically so how do we change that over drinking habit so i think there are four kind of four different things that we can do when an urge to over drink appears um you can react of course and pour yourself a drink and say yes to the urge uh you can resist by using willpower, which a lot of us do, you know, I'm just going to resist and not have that drink. But willpower doesn't work at some point we give in. And so or we distract ourselves by, you know, turning to another activity, we're going to shop or scroll and not have the drink, or we eat. Or we can simply feel the emotion and sensation, let it pass through us let the little brain say, you know, have that drink, and we don't react. And the more that we do that, the more empowered we become to change our relationship with alcohol. And that might be having a drink plan. And a drink plan may look like, I plan out my drinking for a week. Um, Friday, I'm going to a dinner with friends. I'm gonna have two glasses of wine. On Saturday, I'm going to a wedding. I'm going to have a glass of wine. On Sunday, I'm having a family dinner. I'm not going to drink. But you plan it out ahead of time. And that's where you're making a commitment to yourself to not to drink or to have only a glass. And what you're teaching your brain is that it doesn't have to have that immediate gratification. I want, therefore I drink. I want, therefore I eat. That's where most of us are. I want, therefore I scroll and shop. And we have to teach our brains to wait. And so a drink plan is all about waiting. I have a plan, I wait, I execute the plan. If I want more, then it goes on the next day's plan. But when we pause, and we teach our brain how to wait, then we're building up a different habit. And sometimes, when we, the thing that we think we want, when we wait, we find out we don't really want it. But most of us drink because we're in habit mode. And when we disrupt the habit, we find that we get much more management or agency over when and how we drink. And that can start with a drink plan.
0: And uh, would it also be logical, Robin, to have as part of the drink plan because sociologic, social, so sociological pressures are so high that? Um, that's you described it yourself at the start where, you know, someone's egging us on and why just wondering, why not some more? I mean, we're here to have fun. So what is part of the plan in terms of managing these social situations?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes I work with my clients and doing hypnotherapy with them, um, getting them into those situations where they see themselves in the social situation. And they derive pleasure from saying no. And it's learning to say no. And, and learning that you don't have to people please by saying yes. Because when we say yes to other people, you know, we're, we're, we're saying no to ourselves. And it's saying no, learning to say no. It's like, no, thank you. I don't want to drink. And just watching yourself in that situation. And your brain's gonna say, have the drink. It's easier, it's easier, it makes other people happy. And I just sit there and I observe myself saying no, and I say no. Now listen, that was pretty hard at first because my husband and I loved pairing food and wine, and now I'm not drinking. And he finds it very uncomfortable. So it's his discomfort that's compelling him to say, why not? is his discomfort around me saying no, thank you. So I have to sit in my own discomfort and say no, I'm not choosing to drink right now. And at first, that was hard. That was really easy. You know, I was out with friends. I'm here in London, friends um, from the US last night, and I didn't drink. And they were saying oh you're not drinking anymore and i'm like i just don't want to drink tonight i just don't fancy it and they were all really uncomfortable but you know what they forgot in five minutes and they had a lovely time and they had wine and i drank water and i was perfectly happy with that but it takes practice practice saying no feel the discomfort and say no anyway and that way I'm keeping my commitment to myself. It's like going out for a run. The first three weeks you go every day, then you start saying, Oh, it's rainy. I'm not going to go. Oh, I'm tired. I'm not going to go. And we stop keeping our promises to ourselves. And it's that's a muscle that we have to strengthen. The more you say no, the more it feels good. It feels good to say no. So, it's muscle.
0: There was something very insightful you described in that situation, Robin, where you said, I just said, I'm not drinking today. So, you know, that also takes the pressure off of you in social situations where you're not going there and announcing, I'm not drinking again. You're just saying, I'm not drinking today. And I think that makes a world of difference in terms of pressuring yourself and feel uh, inflicting that pressure on anybody else and getting them to push you. I think there's a really big difference between the two. Of Most often you see people who say, okay, I'm never again going to drink and then they enter a social situation and then they're telling everybody I'm not drinking after today and then eventually the pressure mounts and then uh, it goes it's like what you describe the journey has to be slow and not abrupt because then it just probably has a greater chance of recoiling back on them. um Is there anything that you'd like to share in terms of final words of advice?
1: Yeah, I, I think you have to think of your brain when you, if you you know want to move into the world of uh, exploring how you know to say no and changing the habit of why you drink some of you can't have this way is my drinking your brain's going to have a tantrum and say you know why, well, why you know why are you doing this to me <laughs> you know i want my glass of wine just allow it to have gently and firmly say i'm to this new language waiting. Or I want, I'm not going to have that today. So we're retraining our brains. We're retraining our brains to, you know, not have that intensity of whatever I want, I have to have right now. And I think this is a beautiful skill for overeating and overdrinking. So just know your brain's going to push back, but just allow it to and sit in that peace of listening to the chatter and still say no. And I think um, that's one of the things that's made it really, really easy for me to move through this challenge and to develop a program for the challenge.
0: So we have our guests complete our show mantra, Robin. So if sleep is the new medicine, then how would Robin complete that for us?
1: Ah, that's an interesting one. If sleep
0: is the new medicine, I think
1: learning to say no is the perfect companion.
0: Oh, it's lovely. Where can people find you, Robin? Because you did describe your program. So where can people go if they'd like to? And I'm presuming your program, you actually walk people through step-by-step ways to move away from over-drinking?
1: Yeah, um, they can find me at um, robinspens.com. Yes, I do have, I work with people one-to-one and I work with um, them in groups. Uh, to help them um, become more efficient at managing the amount that they drink and when they drink and helping them to get some agency over that. I also work with people who, um, where drink has interfered or caused difficulty in their ability to um, um, have have um, become fertile and uh, with fertility issues, so that's also um, a place that we look at managing your intake and reducing um, your intake and stopping your intake before you you know think about conceiving.
0: Beautiful, Robin. It was a great conversation. Uh, what I really took away and what I liked in this conversation was just that it was very realistic it wasn't something like do or die and it was somewhere right in that middle which is gives people a feeling that it's possible it's not uh, something that's completely out of their grasp so thank you for sharing your time with us and all these wise words and i'll um, i'm sure people can reach you if they want to know more
1: Thank you so much. It's been a delight to speak with you, Deepa. Um, Thank you for
0: having me. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counselling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.